Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Marjorie Punnett. I'm Elizabeth Reese. This is Best to the Nest, the podcast that's all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. And today, the theme, pretty heavy again, Elizabeth, is digital addiction. Oh, uh, my gosh. As I've got all my devices sitting right here, multitasking all of the things. You know, sometimes I feel like you're in my brain because I just <laughs> said, I know you don't listen to my regular radio hits, but I just said on the radio, I was talking during a dirt alert with Colleen and Bradley. Right. And I said, I got to like, I got to set some limits on my Instagram. Yeah. Like I've got to start managing because I'm getting to that point where I just start to mindlessly scroll and I feel like I've lost control. And then you texted and said, Hey, I want to talk about this on best of the nest. What do you think? And I'm like, hello, you're in my brain. You're totally in my brain. <laughs> well, that's a, I, I'll never mind being there. I think it's a good, healthy brain to live <laughs> in. So that's terrifying. But I, what I want to start talking about is first, what social channels and streaming services bring you pleasure or make you happy? Oh, which ones? Yeah, that you actually feel. Well, we'll get to the addiction issue separately. But so some of the language that's being used now is what's your digital drug of choice? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of like a lot of streaming services make me really happy. Like I'm enjoying I just like enjoy consuming shows that are sort of like movies, you know, like okay. I'm into like Apple TV plus cause I love Ted Lasso and I'm liking the morning yeah. show. I'm sort of liking the morning show. I have like a love hate with it. Yeah. Um, and then I really love watching, like I just watched Stanley Tucci's tour oh, yeah. of Italy, the food show on oh, HBO great. max. And I really was enjoying that. And so I found that to be really enjoyable. So those types of streaming services I really like. And then Instagram is definitely Instagram and Facebook are really the only social media platforms that I look at unless I'm working on a particular project. And then I'll also go to Pinterest. Right. For me, streaming services are definitely have become sort of a digital drug of choice. Mm. I found, so my husband watches and consumes media while he does work. Yeah. He, it helps him focus, I, it, which is to a lot of people who don't work that way. It's counterintuitive to me. I do not. I can't, I, I prefer quiet when I'm working. So I was finding that he and I were sitting, getting into that really traditional habit, which we never, I mean, we used to do it for work, but just in our personal lives, I never did it, especially when I was living alone. If I, when I was living alone, the TV wasn't on, but I would stream. And so I told myself two days ago, I'm going to stop streaming as much, particularly with him, like sitting on the couch and then definitely not in bed because that gets super addictive because I can go to Amazon Prime and I will literally find anything. <laughs> and that started to help me fall asleep. So oh, I was yeah, in Tempe, yeah. And that, I just don't like that. I don't like that habit. We've and never then, had a TV in the bedroom. 
we never did until here. Mm-hmm. But you don't need – I never watched on TV. I'm watching it on my iPad. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So social channels, um, definitely Instagram. And the way that I sort of curtailed my use of that is I will use it like you if I'm doing something or like this class that I just took was about audience analytics. And so my project was all had to do with Instagram. So I was using it for that. But for pleasure, I definitely look at it. But what I did do is I detached from most personal inst- – like I don't follow a lot of personal Instagram accounts – I, I follow like, you know, House Beautiful, Architectural Digest. I follow those kinds of accounts because mm-hmm. the personal stuff was was weird for me, and I didn't really enjoy it. Although I like I like the people who I would have followed, but I didn't really enjoy it. So, which of these do you think would be addictive to you? Oh, for sure, Instagram is it is addictive. I don't have any addiction to digital streaming services. Like right. even when it's like. Oh, streaming, or I just kept watching. I'm like intentional about my TV watching. And, um, to me, a streaming service, I don't just have it on in the background because I don't, I, I want to actually pay attention to the things that I'm watching. Right. Um, and so the only thing that I have like on in the background would be like the news in the morning. Right. I just like to know kind of what's happening. And I think that's sort of normal. But Instagram and, Facebook. Twitter was like this for a while for me, probably about five years ago. I would find myself like just doom scrolling Twitter right. and right. I had to physically remove it from my phone. And once once Ooh. I removed it from my phone, I just no longer went there and I so rarely look at Twitter anymore. I, if I do log in, there's I'll see like a hundred mentions of me that I just never saw because I just right. don't. I like, I just don't look. But Instagram and Facebook to some extent, and I am finding myself getting to that same point that I was with Twitter where I am, if I mindlessly scroll, I feel bad. If I'm like looking at something with purpose, I feel good. And that is 100% the differentiating factor for me. Well, yesterday, Ian and I went to the grocery store and I had forgotten my phone at home and I didn't feel like going to the grocery store. He was just getting stuff particular for dinner. So I didn't feel like going in. I'm like, so can I can I borrow your phone? Because <laughs> I was going to be sitting in the car for like 10 minutes. And he's like, no, because his phone is also his wallet. Yeah. And he's like, no, I'm going to take it in. And in that moment, I was like, oh, my God, that's so weird. <laughs> I was prioritizing sitting in the car by myself to look at Instagram over going into the grocery store with my husband. Yeah. Because it just felt easier. I know. I just felt like, oh, I could just sit here and do that. And and had I had my own phone, I would have just done it. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. I mean, those are the subtle sort of changes in patterns that are signals of addiction, I think. And the reason we're talking about it on Best of the Nest is I came across an article in the Wall Street Journal, which I have to say, Elizabeth, was shocking to me. Hmm. Absolutely shocking. So the essay was by a woman named Anna Lemke. She's a psychiatrist and a professor at Stanford University. And the first part of the essay was about how she had a 20-year-old patient, 20-something patient come in, male, presented with severe anxiety and depression. She said he was vaguely suicidal. Oh, gosh. And she said in the day, years ago, she would have prescribed antidepressants without a thought. That would have been her course of um, of action. Right. She said instead, she prescribed uh, dopamine detox. She asked him to not play video games or go on any social channels for one month. 
because what they're finding is all of these social channels, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, I mean, you name Snapchat, name them, give us dopamine, dopamine releases. Now, in his case, it was gaming. But I'm going to read from this is what she said. So that, that's what she did with him. Month later, he comes back. He's feeling 100% better. Oh, my gosh. And he puts himself or she helps him make a two-hour, two-day-a-week, two-hour limit on video games. And he only allows himself to play with friends so that he strengthens his social connections as opposed to just mindlessly getting on video games and playing with strangers. Okay, and you know is... that you know all of that's a thing, right, Elizabeth? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, because Jay plays um, this hockey game with his dad buddies. And it started yeah. during the pandemic when they couldn't go out anywhere. They right. all bought, like, PlayStation or Xboxes or whatever. You know, we'd never had one in the house before. And right. he got one, and then they get on their headsets – and then they like hang out with each other. And I, I actually think it's like kind of nice, you know, because yeah. they're all, I can hear him chatting with them. Like I right. can only hear him, but right. I can like hear him being like, oh no, you know, and they're like having these conversations. And I'm like, you know, this is sort of like the same thing if they were like at a bar playing darts together. It'd be exactly like the same. And, and she's saying that's healthy because he's deepening those social connections. What's unhealthy. And I actually know a lot of 20 somethings and now 30 somethings that will get home from work. And play video games until like two or three in the morning. Oh, gosh. And play with strangers. I mean, that's not, that's not, like to me, when that first started, when my kids were teenagers, I thought that was so weird. And big surprise, we didn't even have a gaming system in our house. Yeah. But had we had one, it would have been forbidden. For sure. Um, okay, so I, I want to go back to the dopamine, though, because yeah. when you talk dopamine, I think dopamine seems good. Like dopamine is like a happy thing. It's like a good chemical, right? That is well, released in your brain. Well, here's, here's, I'm going to read directly from the essay. So she says, when we do something we enjoy, this is the psychiatrist's words, like playing video games for my patient, the brain releases a little bit of dopamine and we feel good. Okay. But one of the most important discoveries in the field of neuroscience in the past 75 years is that pleasure and pain are processed in the same parts of the brain and that the brain tries hard to keep them in balance. Mm. Whenever it tips in one direction, it will try hard to restore the balance, which neuroscientists call homeostasis, by tipping in the other. Oh. As soon as dopamine is released, the brain adapts to it by reducing or down-regulating the number of dopamine receptors that are stimulated. This causes the brain to level out by tipping to the side of pain, which is why pleasure is usually followed by a feeling of hangover or come down. If we can wait long enough, that feeling passes and neutrality is restored. But there's a natural tendency to counteract it by going back to the source of pleasure for another dose. Oh, yeah. If we keep up this pattern for hours every day, over weeks or months, the brain's set point for pleasure changes. Now we need to keep playing games not to feel pleasure, but to just feel normal. As soon as we stop, we experience the universal symptoms of withdrawal from any addictive substance, anxiety, irritability, insomnia, dysphoria, and mental preoccupation with using, otherwise known as craving. Hence me in the car asking my husband for his phone <laughs> so that I could sit and look at Instagram as opposed to holding his hand at the grocery store. That's bad. 
The quantity, variety, and potency of highly reinforcing drugs and behaviors has never been greater. In addition to addictive substances like sugar and opioids, there's also a whole new class of electronic addictions that didn't exist until about 20 years ago. Texting, tweeting, surfing the web, online shopping, and gambling. These digital products are engineered to be addictive using flashing lights, celebratory sounds, and likes to keep you coming back. So this is what, and this is why I wanted to talk about it, because what's in front of anybody who's raising children, like you and I can talk about what we look at and the patterns of our use and laugh about, and it is funny, like I was like insane. And I'm like, I can't believe I just wanted to sit in the car. We can self-regulate because we have such a long life of knowing how to self-regulate ourselves. Right, right. And we're we're generally pretty healthy people, even though if you don't think so, that's okay. But Elizabeth <laughs> and I think we're generally healthy people. Think about kids coming up in this digital world and how they will receive dopamine and how that pleasure pain seesaw is all screwed up. It's kind of frightening. It's totally frightening. And... um I think you're so right. And when you look at like that, how the big thing for me that you said there was it changes the brain, the brain set point for pleasure changes. And that's like the scariest thing about it. I also think, you know, we can look back at a world where we didn't have these devices, right? I mean, I'm the last generation to have it, basically. I'm 40 because I grew up having, I didn't get, I got my first cell phone when I was in high school, but it had 30 minutes a month on it. Right. And it was only <laughs> because I had such an old rundown car, a 1989 Subaru GL with 225,000 miles on it when I got nice. it. Nice. That um, my parents were like, this thing could break down at any moment. And so right. we should have a phone for you to be able to call if you are broken down. So it was, it was not like I was calling anyone to chat. It was like it was sitting in the car just there, I think probably just attached to the cigarette lighter um, to stay charged so that if it, there was an emergency, I could use it. So, I mean, when I was in high school, we had computer labs, you know, and right. and then it just started like when I was in college. I remember sophomore year of college was when people actually got cell phones and started using them. And then right. a laptop started. And my first laptop was like, 25 pounds and I would haul it to the library yep, and my like my yep. back would hurt. I was like, this is like ridiculous. So I think, you know, we're kind of that last generation. And then now we move into kids who have never known a world without handheld devices that not only entertain them, but connect them to people that capture moments for them. I mean, my child is constantly asking, like, can I use the iPad to take a video of myself doing gymnastics? You know, like when we wanted to take videos of ourselves, we had to get out the video camera and find a VHS tape and be okay with the fact that we were going to tape over some episode of Beverly Hills 90210 that we'd recorded. And then we had to set it up (laughs) and prop it up and get in front of it and then hit record. Like you couldn't just do that kind of stuff. And no, so and, and for someone like me, very little of my life right. was was um was preserved. And very little of my life was documented by anybody. So there was a there was very little focus, and I'm not saying this in a woe is me way, but there was little very little focus about commemorating moments. Yeah. And, you know, when I look at, like, your Instagram and I see just the adorable pictures of your kids, 
there's a part of me that's like, oh, I wish I had more of my own children. I do. I wish, I wish, because for sure, the, the ability to capture, you know, a yeah. hundred pictures when you're going to the pumpkin patch, right? You know, that would be great. I was using kind of crummy cameras, so I have pictures of my kids, but they're bad. You know, I know. It's like, and like the videos, like their voices, that's oh, yeah. the sweetest, you know, to, to be able to capture and have that. The flip side of that, though, is for the kids to start obsessing about capturing themselves. They're obsessed. Moments. Yeah. yeah. They're obsessed. That's got to be warping in some way. It totally is because my kids, every time we take a picture of them, can I see it? Can I see it? Oh, like interesting. They they're constantly, doing photo approval. I mean, they constantly want <laughs> to see it the second we take Do it. the photo. And, you know, I, I can... I see this like as I'm reading this and as you were reading aloud this article and this um this psychiatrist perspective I'm just thinking this is so totally true and I first of all feel very hopeful and and I'm not I just want to be clear I'm not like an anti antidepressant person or anything right. like that I mean I feel right. very happy that there are lots of options for treatment that being said I think I would like to see that used in a lot of cases as more of like a temporary, hey, we just got to like get through so that we can right. get to the holistic root of the problem. You know, it's right. kind of like well, any sort of health care is what I what I think is helpful. So I love hearing this woman say, I would have gone straight to the antidepressants, but instead I started to dig a little bit deeper to think like, is there something else going on here that we can fix? Well, I think the hard part, and this is the parenting part of this, and I look at this, and that's why I, w I so desperately want to talk about this, and I want anybody who's raising children, obviously, to think about this, is so you were self-regulated because your phone only had 30 minutes. So you, you, you if you used it every day. couldn't even do anything, Marjorie. You, you no. could only just push the numbers. numbers. Like, it wasn't that entertaining. I couldn't even text. <laughs> right. So you had, but even if you could do anything, you had a minute a day if you were going to split it up. There was, or even if you used all 30 at once, you didn't have any more for the rest of the month. There's no <laughs> chance for addiction there. And I think what's really so key about what this woman's saying is, and you know this as well as I know this and anybody who reads any news at all, anxiety and depression numbers in teenagers and young adults is through the roof. Right. I mean, they're just, it's, if you look at a chart, it is exponential, it is on the rise exponentially. Mm -hmm. And this is what you need to do if you have kids is you need to, I really think you have to have some sort of digital plan. And I would say the first thing you have to do is watch The Social Dilemma. You've got to watch The Social Dilemma. I think it's still on Netflix. Do a little research and then pay attention to what the world is actually saying is happening. And this is what was interesting about the Facebook whistleblower oh, who was gosh. on 60 Minutes last week. Yeah. Because Facebook is doing the research. And that's the thing as parents. And this is like – it's like I know everybody's like, oh, my God, one more thing to do. But the tricky part is, is – and I know this to be true – is we love – phones and iPads, they are the best way to distract kids if you have to get anything done. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to give up that tool. But at the same time, you got to do the research. And what what was coming out during all of the stuff with the whistleblower is Facebook does all their own internal research. And you'll see this in The Social Dilemma, too. I mean, once you watch The Social Dilemma, you will not let your kids near a phone. I mean, it's just <laughs> crazy. Mm -hmm. But what Instagram was finding, and this is according to their own research, that Instagram makes body issues worse for one in three teen girls. It's the worst. One in three. And you can see, I mean, as adults, I look at it and I see that. Oh, you know, gosh, I can yeah. see it. 
I mean, I see it from the anti-aging perspective. There's so much on Instagram because it's feeding me this because I'm older and I've I've watched enough of the videos or I've looked enough of the things that get fed that I get so many things about women over 50 with beautiful skin and how to get beautiful skin. Yeah. I mean, that just passes through my feed all the time. I feel fine about my skin, but I can see how if you're a teenage girl and you're seeing these perfect bodies all the time. And we had, I mean, I had that too as a kid. I would read Seventeen magazine. For and sure. I, mean, I, I did my share of stupid diets. Yes. But I think it's, everything's just heightened now. I think um, so because you have more access to it. I think it's, yeah. what we're talking about is the more and more, because I, I really yep. think that's a great observation, Marjorie, because I was the same with like all of these magazines. And I think... It, you know, back in like the nineties, these magazines were super harmful. I mean, even like the yeah. fact that as like a teenager, I was reading Cosmo and oh. every oh. single <laughs> thing was about like how to have sex and how to make sure that he's happy and he thinks you're hot. Like that was literally man. it. I mean, it was just ridiculous. Like yeah. we like laugh at, at like, you know, old school marriage manuals from the fifties, you know, we laugh about that, but that's the same. It's the same thing that was going on in the nineties. I mean, it was totally misogynistic. And then, um, but I think you're right. The difference was you waited for it to come in the mail or you got it at the grocery store and then you read it. It wasn't just this constant flood of new information all the time. And that in and of itself, I think, was damaging back then. So then this exposure has to be exponentially more damaging. Yeah, I mean, just think about it as a parent. I mean, any woman who's listening to us, think about what influenced you as a teen and how often it entered into your life. So Seventeen Magazine, I would get it once a month. I had a subscription. That's 12 issues. Think about the difference between 12 issues, one a month, and seeing those things every single day and scrolling through it every day. Right. And it's still, reading 17 probably still made you be like, oh, I need to be skinnier. I should eat this. I should, I need to do that kind of makeup. I need to do all this to look great. Oh, you know, the only thing for me as a teenager that I was super influenced by, I was not into makeup, but was being thin. Yeah. And so, you know, is it slightly obsessive to make sure that you're always under 100 pounds? Yeah, yes. a little bit. A little yeah. bit. Yeah. Um, teens blame Instagram for, and this is, again, Facebook's research. Teens blame Instagram for increases in anxiety and depression. And the research said that the reaction was unprompted and consistent across all groups. Holy buckets. This is Facebook's, who owns Instagram. This is their research. 22 million teens log on to Instagram every day in the U.S. And 40% yeah. of people who use Instagram are under the age of uh, 20. I mean, it's just it's just shocking. And so I think, like, when we really look at this, it is, you know, when I was raising my kids, you think about the things you would think about is, okay, who are going to form my children's personality? We are as parents, the church we belong to, and then, you know, if you belong to a church— the school your children go to, and the friends that your children have. Mm -hmm. So those are the four things that when my kids were growing up, I didn't obsess over them, but I was acutely aware that that was the rotating sort of, that was the rotating world of my children. So I could control how I behaved. I could control what church I went to and what parish we belonged to. I couldn't control necessarily the friends that my children chose to hang around, but I would make my house as welcoming as possible to them, and I got to know their parents. Yeah. So you think about, like, I could control those things in one sense because I could understand them. If you don't control, like, the digital landscape, it's nuts who comes into their lives and how it influences them. But I just found that 
really interesting, the whole idea of dopamine and pleasure. That's not yeah. even who's influencing your children. It's what's influencing your children's mental health. Well, and that's so true because I think, you know, a lot of us that are – when we look at like what are the dangers of social media, there was always this sort of like there's creepy predators out there who right. are preying on your right. kids, you know? And I'm right. not saying that's not the case because I certainly think that there are. Oh, this is and, a great point though, yeah. You know, there are definitely like creepy guys out there posing as kids or trying to like get in and like have these relationships. And, you know, you'll hear a news story on occasion about like some 14-year-old girl who like – got picked up by some guy who was posing as a 16-year-old, but he was really 40 and then took her across. You know, I mean, those stories are real and terrible and really happen. That being said, the much more likely predator is what happens in their own minds. Because the much more likely enemy that we're looking at is depression, anxiety, suicide, addiction, all of those things. Because when you've got kids, you know, taking on depression and anxiety that social media induced. I'm not a doctor, but I'm just going to say they're much more likely to try to figure out some way to self-medicate that depression and anxiety, which then leads to alcohol use, drug use. I mean, it's like all of these things. So I, I, you know, we're in this like major epidemic and I don't think, I mean, I don't know how I'm going to be at a parent because there's lots of times when I, you know, when you're like, well, I'm never going to do that as a parent. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, shoot dog, here we are. You know, I mean, I get it. (laughs) I don't want to be like a hypocrite about that kind of stuff. No. But I definitely don't think that social media is going to enter. Like my kids are not going to have social media accounts for sure. Not until they're like maybe like a junior or senior in high school. I just like can't see because of all this research coming out. I can't really see how that would be helpful and positive. And that's the thing. Is I, and you just said something I think that's really smart. I don't think it's helpful. And I think that's the one thing about this research that, and, and about this, um, you know, about your brain and dopamine. You know, we can talk about all of those external things, but we really are talking about how social channels, and we'll talk about those in particular, or video gaming, is changing your child's brain. That, that just is. I mean, yeah. they know that to be true. And it, it suddenly makes all of those statistics about anxiety and depression make sense. Mm-hmm. And and the other point that she makes in this, these what was surprising to her is the, the people that she's treating, she said, these are not victims of trauma. These are not victims of, you know, social dislocation. These are generally sort of affluent, well-to-do families where these kids are coming in. Well, doesn't that make perfect sense? Yeah. You know, there's nothing that that seemingly on the surface is happening other than they're digitally addicted and they're getting too much dopamine. And that I just find this fascinating. I, I do. I mean, because I think the, the hopeful part of this story is, wow, this is something that if you pay attention to it, you can really help your kids in the simplest way that you just said is there's no reason for them to have an account. And I will tell you, and I know this to be true because I lived a little of this with gaming. If I had a daughter or a son, but I, I this really hits girls in a, in a very profound way. And that was the Facebook story that it was really, really hitting teenage girls in a really profound way. There's no way in hell she would have an Instagram account. Yeah. I mean, and I can say that knowing that that would probably be a battle. But I had that battle with my own sons. And I think if you you really strive to make your home a place of joy and peace, that you might actually win that battle. 
but it's hard. I mean, I'm, I'm not here to say that I I can declare they wouldn't, but I'm not there. And this I is will a say, age. you know, one thing that I will say that I like about the modern way that we watch television compared to how I grew up watching television is I do love that I can control the ads that my kids see oh, that's so awesome. much more because yeah. of digital streaming services. Right. So like, I'm not going to just turn on a channel and let it air. And I mean, and keep in mind, like I, I'm a person, I work at a television station. I like very much appreciate advertising. That being said, right. I think like right. Saturday morning cartoon advertising when I was growing up was just straight crap food. I mean, yeah. just straight garbage. I mean, sugar just cereals. like nonstop sugared cereals mm-hmm. and, um, and the amount that those are advertised and then how that translates into what families buy. It's directly related. I mean, it is directly related. And I think, um, I love that I can turn on shows for my kids and that they can, you know, watch them or whatever. And I'm not being peppered with like, Hey, let's go buy lucky charms. You know, I think that that is one really great thing that I found like, Oh, I can control this a little bit better. And even just like all the toys and all of the, like the things I, I just, I don't love things being marketed directly to kids. I just kind of feel like that's a that's an ethical thing that I don't feel good about. Have you watched The Social Dilemma yet? No, I haven't. I need to. Okay. Yeah, you need to. And then we, we will discuss. But I think what what is really hard here, and this is when I wish, Elizabeth, we still had the radio show. Because this is when I'd be like six five one six four one one zero seven one. Oh wow, good job! I know. <laughs> Don't call, call it right now, guys. <laughs> call us. You're probably gonna call the station. <laughs> that is the station number. <laughs> but I would love to hear women or men that have girls ages ages eleven to fifteen. What the heck are you doing? Like, how are you navigating this? I know. Because it's easy for me to say, if I had a daughter, no way in hell she'd have an Instagram account. I know. It's easy, easy for, for me, me to, say. to say that, too, even with a seven-year-old, you know, or a yeah. six-year-old. I get it. That's why I want to be clear that, like, yeah. I don't want to sound like a hypocrite here. I'm just kind of, I don't know. If I say it out loud, does it make it more likely that I'll stick to it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, Elizabeth. I'm it here does. to affirm you. Yes, yeah. it does. But well, it would be nice really to get that anything. opinion. I know. We, I, we I haven't solved anything, but we hope, I hope that this idea of brain science and neuroscience, we've sort of been hitting this as a theme. I wish I had known all of this when I w- was raising my children, because I think the more aware you are, you just make better decisions. And the decisions are ultimately, you know, yours, anybody's. Yeah, I think but you're I right. But I just think the more information, the better. But if as, okay, before we wrap, so that I know we haven't solved anything, but I do have like one quick thought on how we might be able to just like round out our nests a little bit better. I, um, you and I both used to subscribe to Apple news, which was, what was it before? What was that magazine app that we liked? It was called something else before. And then we, it was with a T something texture texture. So we, you and I are big magazine people. We love magazines. Right. And, um, and like after we just smashed on 17 and Cosmo, but I'm talking like, I love food, Mag. I love like food and wine. I love Bon Appetit. I love like uh, Mother Earth News, guys. These are all things that I really actually read and I love very, very much. Hobby Farm Magazine, come to my house. But um, I then was finding, I was like, oh, I was feeling bad about all this paper. And I'm like, you know, I can subscribe to this and then get all those magazines right on my iPad. And I found, and you and I were like into this for a while. We're like, this is great. Now we can have all the magazines and it's really nice. 
And then it hit a point, though, when it became Apple News that I had to wade through news headlines to get to the magazines. It wasn't as pure of a just magazine looking at experience, and it ruined it for me. So I canceled the subscription. I know that you did, too. No, I still have mine because I just haven't figured out how to cancel it yet. Oh, gosh. But I don't use it. Yes. I don't use it. You got to can't. This is like Audible 2.0 for you. Remember when you had all those credits and I was like, good God, Marjorie. Anyway. I know. Okay. You're right. <laughs> okay. You're right. But You're right. that being said, I have, um, I canceled that and I'm going back to paper magazines. And I also, as much as I do love the convenience of a Kindle, because I like to be able to just have that one thing and get a book whenever I want. Right. I've been going through and picking up books off my bookshelf and actually reading physical books. And what I've been thinking about is, number one, I find it much more enjoyable. And number two, my kids don't know what I'm doing on my phone. If I'm like reading an article on my phone and they see me staring at my phone, they don't know what I'm doing. And so if I can like model picking up a book and we read all the time, but like picking up a book and reading it for pleasure myself, I think there's something to that. So maybe instead of immediately going like, oh my gosh, you know, I listened to this podcast and we talked about this article and now we have to like shut down all social media in our house and we can't be looking at our phones. Maybe we could look at it sort of how we like to look holistically at like great food, which is let's crowd it out with other better things. So instead of putting this huge limit on yourself of like, I can't scroll Instagram. I can only use my phone for 30 minutes a day or blah, 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 blah. How about pick up some physical things that you enjoy consuming that are really positive modeling and, and, and like, you know, bring you joy and help you like immediately feel calm and happy and whatever and consume those things in your house, which I think would then automatically crowd out some of the bad stuff. What do you think about this? I just thought of it now. I think it's brilliant. I think you are brilliant. Because crowded out with better things. Because what you just said has so many layers of positivity. Number one, that idea, I just never even thought about it that way. But that idea of, so if I, when I listen to a book on Audible, I have my headphones in, I'm carrying my phone around. If I had young children, that's what they would see me doing. That's what they would see. As opposed to me opening a book. And of course, we all want our kids to be lifelong readers. Yes. So, but if you want that to be the case, you have to be that. And they don't see you being that if you're on Audible or even if you're reading on Kindle, like you said. I know. Show a book. Hey, you know what this is? This guides us right back to the library. I love the library. I love the Did library, too. Library? We've been going to the library so much, and my kids think it's so fun, and we love it. Oh. And we have a little darling little neighborhood library, and we zip over, and I find it to be so enjoyable. That, I, I actually think that's the best thing any, that was said on this podcast is crowd wow. it out with better things. That's what you said, right? Yeah, Gross. that's kind of what I said, I think. I that feels that. good. That's really I love good. That. that could be our podcast 2.0. <laughs> that's right. That's oh, I do like that because we, we're so efficient with all the things we keep promising. <laughs> Thank you for listening and hanging with us, everybody. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best of the Nest. We are the podcast that brings you home. To be your best every day, You need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. 
And that's where the Sleep Number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.